I am delighted to be joined uh, by our guest today. Um, in this roundtable discussion, uh, we'll be talking about the importance of an effective professional development program uh, in an international school setting. Uh, we'll discuss key tips and strategies that each guest has implemented in their own school context um, and the impact and outcomes that these strategies have had. Uh, a key focus will be on highlighting actionable and practical steps um, that you can engage with and think about implementing in your own school setting. Um, so my first question, uh, diving straight into it, um, why is professional development and ongoing training for staff and teachers so important? Um, who'd like to who'd like to kick this one off? I'm happy to kick off. And so I think it's absolutely fundamental if we call ourselves professionals, that it is just knitted into our modus operandi, but it does have to be uh, supported by uh, leadership uh, as well. Um, so my view is it links to both personal and professional growth and satisfaction and that we're the poorer if we don't have good systems and structures in place. So absolutely critical, I think, to our roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, if uh, for me, it's it's mostly to you're right, you're right, Mary, but also I would add that to motivate staff to reiterate the vision of the school as well to ensure the quality of teaching and learning. These are all purposes that I see. And we have implemented uh, a lot of practices, but I think we will talk about it um, a bit later as well um, in today's discussion. I see it as uh, having worked in schools that are time zoned a long way away from the UK, but still accessing UK based uh, qualifications upskilling a staff and having that PD is crucial because it's very easy to go onto the international circuit and fall out of the op operator's modi of what a UK teacher might be getting, particularly with those, with the things like, a, you know, cognitive overload that's coming into the ECT program. So making sure that your staff have maybe been international teaching for many years too, keeping up to date with the latest pedagogical research, it's just crucial. Um, and then I also look into it in terms of a wider school view of no teacher is going to stay at an international school forever. There's always that element of um, moving on to the next step. So I want to upskill the staff. I want to make sure they join whatever school I'm working and they join our school. They feel like they've improved, got better, and they move on. And then they become your brand ambassadors because then any kind of teacher that wants to come to your school is saying, wow, I get to go to this institution. I get to learn something new and improve. And that's, that's a fantastic thing to have throughout, I think that can be a, a center for excellence for, for PD. Yeah, I think I agree with everything been said so far. Um, absolutely crucial, the most powerful thing we can do to improve uh, the student outcomes is by improving teaching and learning. And the most powerful thing we can do to improve teaching and learning is, is CPD. But I think Phil has made a really important point there um, around recruitment and retention. Um, there are more and more international schools every year and recruiting the best staff is becoming much more competitive. Millennials now are not really being motivated necessarily by, by money. It's very much that journey they're on. It's the work-life balance uh, and it's crucial they are progressing from one point to the next. So uh, as the person I see recruitment at the school I am right now, I spend a lot of time speaking to younger teachers and they're not really too fussed on the package around accommodation, et cetera. It really is the, what will you do for me? What will you enable me to kind of progress over the next few years? And there are some schools that really are selling quite heavily their, their position as a CPD school. You come here and you'll get great CPD. Um, my wife recently moved to a new school 
And everyone knows that school in Dubai has been great for CPD. And was, everyone who spoke to said, yeah, you'll be really developed going there. So I think in terms of keeping staff and, you know, attracting staff, it's a really big seller for a school now to have a good, robust uh, CPD program. Excellent. And are there are there particular um, sort of professional development uh, programs that, that you've experienced that aren't particularly as effective or are there any, any things that you sort of felt um, maybe should be avoided um, in, in that regard at all? Anyone want to go for that one? I don't mind starting. Um, I, I, I go back, if we're, if we're thinking about programs and anything we're trying to implement into the school, when you're, when you're looking at strategic thinking, you need to go long-term. You need to understand what you're trying to get and why, and then having some follow-through on it. So when PD doesn't work, it tends to be, standalone thing that, that that's that's it and there's nothing kind of followed through with it and that's come down to then also the content and delivery what, what would we ask our teachers to do in the classroom ensure the content they're delivering is purposeful energetic and has something sequential about it and then we want them to deliver it in a way that's engaging so the worst pd i've come across are standalone programs that has no link to really anything the school's trying to do and delivered in a way that's that's fairly poor it's either slow paced it's far too long there's no ability to personalize it because it's a sort of one size fits all um, and then there's nothing led out behind it. it it's often either opinion based there's no research behind what they're trying to do and so the staff then just get used to that you know if, if you're a student in a classroom every day and the teacher was delivering one-off lessons that don't join together it's very hard to sequentially understand what's happening. And that's the same with us, for, with PD. We've got to make sure that there's a sequential element to it that is leading to measurable outcomes. Now, I, I, it was said earlier about that PD improves teaching and learning, which improves student outcomes. Well, then we have to think strategic and long-term of what we're trying to do. Yeah, that, that really resonates with me. It always stuns me that fantastic teachers, people have seen teach classrooms of teenagers. You put them in front of a group of teachers, and they stand there and they read a PowerPoint out and it just, the, the mind boggles it, it really does. Or sometimes I think the standalone thing, you know, remember SLT's gone off and read one book and now that new book is their whole philosophy for that, that one week and it's never really spoken about again. It doesn't really chime with the school's ethos or, or the school's uh, philosophy. And the whole top-down approach, I think, is really poor CPD. Um, during COVID, what we had was, because we're all effectively NQTs, no one had done remote teaching before really, we had lots of less experienced staff that suddenly were on a, on a par, on a level playing field with more experienced staff, and in many cases, much more advanced. And so what we found was really great uh, at my school was we had less experienced teachers sharing brilliant bits of good practice, brilliant bits of PD in a very kind of non-hierarchical way. Um, and I think that's quite a good way of, of sharing. We know that students learn much better from other students than from a teacher. Well, actually, peer-to-peer -peer and uh, CPD is far superior to some kind of top-down, well, I've read this one book, I've been to a conference, here's something fantastic we shall now do this week. So it absolutely resonates with the idea of something sequential and emotional impact. Yeah, totally agree with you. Something new introduced every week and something, you know, something new introduced from time to time, That that's never going to... Um, help anybody like you know you can you can show as many powerpoints as you want to teachers talk at them um, but nobody's really taking it in I mean what what is the it, it, when it's done in a measurable way so what are we implementing what is the pd for I mean what is the journey because this is what I tell teachers as well when I give observation feedback um, another form of you know again another form of professional development what journey are we leading the students towards and do they know the destination and this is the, the same for any PD. 
and I have sat in PDs where <laughs> the the uh, the trainer just talked at us and we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah. find? Sorry, I, I would agree with all those um, observations. And for me, the, the biggest crime is when it's just a one off um, and it's not linked uh, to any of the actual areas of development identified by the school or the setting, um, either, you know, for the whole whole structure, nor linked to individual um, professional needs either. And linked to that is when there's no sense of why. So it's just delivered, but actually, well, why might this be important? Um, and how does it link with what we're already trying to do? Mm. Yeah, so to tokenism is probably the worst thing uh, with regards to professional development strategy, I imagine, isn't it? It's, there needs to be that that journey along the way and and, and a why as to, to why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and, and sort of looking at... Um, best practice then I suppose or strategies that have that have worked for you guys um you know you, can you talk a bit about about some of the teacher training that you found particularly effective um or what does best practice look like to you in in your own school context you'd like to go for that one Danya I'm happy to I'm happy to kick off and just talk about what we've done it's very much for us um about CPP being done by staff, not to staff. And I think we've already touched on that a little bit now. Someone just delivering content at teachers is not effective. So what we've tried to do as much as possible is give teachers autonomy and agency. Now, what I will say is I'll, I'll place a small caveat on this. There are some elements of development like uh, safeguarding that have to be conducted. They're mandatory. Uh, and, and so they have to happen in, in a fairly straightforward, um, controlled way, which is which, you know, absolutely fine. Um, but what we try to do where possible is give staff the opportunity and the ability to choose their pathway. So most uh, CPD sessions will have more than one session running and there'll be usually two or three strands which link directly to our school improvement plan. So uh, recently we've been looking at um, boys education and the gap between boys and girls. We've looking at EAL um, students uh, and also really teaching to the top. Um, and so those strands will, there'll be a session on each time we have CPD, one of those three strands. And staff can then choose which of those they, they can mix it up and do one from each strand each week. That, that's absolutely fine. Or they can just choose a single strand and pursue that all the way through. But they have the ability to, to choose, which is really important. And also, I think it's key to value different sorts of CPD. So it's not just what happens inside the school grounds. We have staff following MPQs, master's degrees that are involved in other elements of CPD outside of school. And it's really key to us that that's valued as well. Um, we had a fantastic um, CPD reading group. They would sit down a book group, a book club. Um, and also we have a really good CPD library. And, and those other independent aspects of CPD need to be valued. So it's not just our offering. I think by giving staff that responsibility, they take ownership. And then it's something they're doing for themselves. It's that intrinsic motivation rather than here's something I have to do. Otherwise, I won't pass Pass appraisal. So for us, that's that's really key. That the agency and autonomy and responsibility on staff uh, has worked well. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, talking about autonomy, you know, being a Cambridge school, this is this is one thing um, I suggest teachers at the start of each year when we have that mandatory workshop. It's like you pick and choose your own um, developmental area what that you want to focus on this year, whether it's metacognition or assessment tracking, or, you know, there are so many areas to choose from. And then of course they own it. Um, the other the other uh, very effective form of uh, CPD that, I've, that we've managed to implement in the school is peer observations. 
people don't realize how useful these are because then you can identify a particular area that teachers um, can develop and will be useful for them. And then um, they, they visit each other. So this means that it's with, within the school, but then again, they feel ownership of that. And other, other teachers as well, they feel validated. Oh, all right, I'm, I'm doing something right. So I have my colleague visiting. But then again, they have the freedom to choose if they want to go and observe someone as well. I echo uh, a lot of the words being said, particularly Michael's and Michael saying of being delivered to, I really do. And, and I, I feel quite passionate that uh, any kind of CPD or PD, whoever you want to call it, should have some sort of research behind it. There, there are countless of academics over the course of decades have pulled together best practice that works. And, and that's amazing to pull upon that action research and then get staff to have a go at that in your school and then set up marketplaces. You know, one of the things we're really passionate of trying to bring here is, is exactly what Michael's saying, but having this idea that we run these action research projects through the year, where that is formalized through, um, you know, middle leadership programs, whether it's Karen Ardley or whether we're looking at the, the national professional qualifications, as Michael said, or whether they're internal ones we want to run but then we then run a marketplace in August. So all of our new recruits who come and join our school, what's one of the first things they get to be part of is a massive school-wide CPD session. And they walk into something and go, wow, these guys have been running something all year based on research with some outcomes, with some impact on students' improvement or curriculum or whatever it is they've been focused on. But hopefully it sets their mind going that the PD is a year-long thing and that whatever they start the start of the year, they're going to be presenting on the end of the year and then they essentially then start leading staff through those projects even further um it takes time to build that up but it's, as i said we're new here so that's that's our first step to really try and get that going yeah that that sounds fantastic and um you, you what you've got going there is something that's iterative it's going to grow deep roots and you don't get sustainable development of professionals having impact on students if if you're looking for quick fixes so the fact you said oh um philip that it it, it takes time that is actually a good thing um is there's quite often you know the idea that we've got to pull something down quickly and make it happen quickly now that's sometimes the case but for the most part ongoing professional development is iterative and it's over time and um, a, a neat example that echoes what you're doing, um, Philip, is uh, John Thompson's school um, when he was head at Huntingdon in York, uh, which was a research school um, in the north of England. And he, um, their professional uh, development target for in each individual staff was to, um, member of staff was to undertake a research project. And um, they just had to undertake it. If it didn't work, that didn't matter. The point was, was that they were on this, they were on this journey. Um, so all the fear taken away from it, no pressure on producing uh, dodgy data, which for the most part, you know, doesn't stand up to scrutiny. But what he found was hugely engaged staff, amazing results. Um, but that was because there was the expectation you undertook this and their, their one target was, was to become a better teacher than it was last year. And that was the route through to it. So it's it's um it's it's real it's a really interesting satisfying way of working, and the other thing I would say in relation to um, what I've seen that is really strong is it's couched in a way 
that is intellectually enticing? Why wouldn't someone want to be involved in some of this? Because it's riveting. And I think a lot of that comes when it's linked to um, linked to the evidence and the research, which it has to be said is always provisional because any hard science is provisional and there's softer science, you know, around psychology and cognitive science um, is never hard and fast, but they're very useful routes into exploring um, deeper ways of supporting pupils and students learning over time. So it's fascinating. I love, I love what you described there, Mary, in terms of getting staff to really engage intellectually with the material. I, I find, in my experience, where we are unashamedly intellectual, um, we get much more buy-in from the staff. And I think when we focus more almost on the training elements uh, of kind of using um, platforms, et cetera, we really don't get the buy-in anywhere near as, 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 as much. And to go back to what Philip, Philip said there, and, and the, uh, the I guess the obligation of a school to be very careful about what they share. I've been involved that received CPD on some very, very dodgy kind of uh, areas, things like brain gym that were kind of given out almost as gospel. Um, and it showed, showed my age out a little bit in terms of how long I've been teaching, but um, very, very loose um research basis and there's something that's being delivered to a whole school of, of teachers who then take that off and start delivering that to their their students potentially great harm could be caused uh, if we're not very careful with that and that that, that we're not uh, very selective with that research there isn't quite a high burden of proof before that suddenly is then shared with with uh, a lot of people and potentially um it's not the right thing yeah, I think um, I think what you're um, identifying there, Michael, is about um, us as professionally raising our game in terms of the way we talk about this, the way uh, it's both an expectation and entitlement. Um, but I don't worry about too much too much about stuff that is was a bit naff in the past. You know, we've all experienced it. Nobody died, but it does give us that extra lens through which to say, well, at least it's not that. Let's let's ramp it up to something that is more robust, has more evidence and is more interesting behind it as well. Because it has to be said that, um, you know, learning styles is, is still a thing. I was just on a Twitter thread before I came on here. Um, although it's been debunked, um, still being laid at the door of initial teacher trainers, that's not the case. It's a shame. But um, one person saying that, I think this was in Scotland, uh, saying that their child had been asked to um, complete a, a learning styles questionnaire in S5. Um, again, nobody's going to die, but it's just a bit of waste of time, isn't it? And so, um, yeah, it's just, I think it's just about being alert to what might what might we identify? What are the characteristics of strong uh, working uh, practices in this domain and what is uh, pretty much a waste of time. But it's not the end of the world if people go into a bit of that as long as we draw ourselves back to stuff that has more uh, evidence behind it. Mm. Excellent stuff. And I was just, just sort of thinking about what we're saying here um, and the fact that it's this is something that the younger generation, maybe millennials, maybe you know uh, people in their early 20s that have just graduated and uh, and are now looking uh, done their training and now looking to move into an international school um, themselves, how, and this is something that they're looking for, right? And this is part of the retention plan. How how is how do you present this um, as part of a senior leadership team? How how is that presented to new teachers um, to make them aware of the journey that they can go on? Um, is that sort of part of the induction, or how how is that how is that presented in each of your each of your school contexts? Well, I can I can talk about what I've done. So it, it might not be uh, the greatest kind of innovative thing, but I, I'm sure we all follow the same kind of thing of of setting up um, 
Yeah, I, I like to start it early. You know, whenever whenever a teacher's moving internationally for the first time, um, there's always going to be questions of why. Are you sure? Is this really the move you want to do? And so it's all about reassuring them about what you're coming to is a great scenario. You're going to really love where you're coming. It's a great environment. And I get them into, you know, WhatsApp groups. I get them into stuff and I start drip feeding them, you know, whether it's stuff that's the marketing uh, departments are doing with the teachers about the great work that's happening in classes and, and the action research taking place. Or I start drip feeding stuff from Tom Sherrington or Dylan William, or just you know, really kind of simple stuff. Or the EFF, you know, get the Education Down Foundation, just start having to read about what this means. How, how does feedback and reflection policies work? How would this work? How would this work in your subject? And just get them excited to start thinking about these things. You know, there's there's the great stuff coming out of Harvard, you know, the Project Zero stuff is fantastic about that. So I tend to drip those in, in slowly and get them thinking that fairly high intellectual score. I know Michael will say that, and getting that idea of thinking that, you know, come with that open mindset of, of improving yourself. But I tend to start that early. I find during induction, it's easy to throw lots of stuff at teachers early and often when they're first moving internationally all they really want to do is work out where the supermarket is where they can live and, and how to get around so I, I tend to drip it in earlier to get them thinking about those things mm -hmm. yeah it is the it is the more practical matters that people do tend to be concerned about when they when they first move to a country i have to agree um and we have had a huge intake of new staff this year so i can I can totally empathize, but it's also the, the mandatory um, trainings that they have to undergo when they when they first join a school. So it's not like it's not uh, professional development. Like Mary was saying earlier that, you know, we have to intellectually stimulate. I completely agree. And they not make it a burden, but rather, you know, make them want to do it. Actually excited about doing a PD. But there are certain PDs that we have to deliver um that are also mandatory i think uh, michael mentioned this earlier um as well and in that sense yes catching them early but i do mention the opportunities while doing the uh, recruitment itself and then we did pick and choose some ways of um delivering those pds in a fun way for example uh as as a kahoot even um this year at the start of the year so and that and and the interesting thing was that they actually retained the information. So even though it was a mandatory PD, that could have been very dry and very boring. And people enjoyed it. Yeah, for us, I think we do kind of a hybrid approach, a bit kind of retro. We have a, a CPD brochure, uh, which is really high quality. So it shows what's coming over the course of the year. Staff can see very clearly right at the beginning. But uh, in terms of what Daniel's saying, at the beginning of the year, during induction, we don't really want to give them too much of the good stuff. So we have a, a small teaser session, if you will, to kind of whet their appetite and say these things will be coming. So they, they know it's on the horizon, but we're kind of quite conscious, um, as Philip said, in induction week, that's probably not the time to start getting really into things like uh, metacognition, etc. They're far too distracted. And it is actually then a bit more about the training, about how the, the systems of the school works and where the supermarket is, et cetera, et cetera. But we think it's important to set the scene and let them know that this is something that will really be featuring 
prominently in their professional lives moving forward. Um, but they have got the brochure. And if they are keen beans, that's fine. They can start looking through. Uh, and we have uh, a Teams group. Uh, so staff can kind of go through and it has an archive of all of our CPD sessions on there, you know, recordings, et cetera. Uh, and they can access that if they really want to kind of start go, going back, uh, back into last year's CPD, et cetera. Uh, but it's really important, I think, as Philip said, to set the scene. Um, yes, we are selling this all, et cetera, uh, during uh, interviews. But we want to make sure they understand that this is something's really important to us. And it's something that's not a one off. It's something we're talking about um, in the appropriate time and something they'll definitely benefit from moving forwards. Yeah, and I think there's an element of coaching in this as well. Um, to be working with uh, someone who has got my best interests at heart, who I can talk through these um, the the learning opportunities with, and who's got some experience to sort of guide me into some that would be more productive, uh, given my circumstances. Um, because I do think people need support around this. Um, it can be very light touch. Um, I'm I, I think if it's just a free for all, what happens is, and I'm sure it's not the case in your context, but I have seen it happen where, you know, you've got a great book library with all the great thinkers uh, on there. And, um, you know, you then talk to people about, well, who is, do, does everyone have to read those books or a sample of those books? No, people can select them. Well, it's going to be the people who already know a lot who are going to go to those books. And so I'm always thinking about the people who might not know how valuable they are. So I'd want to be a bit more prescriptive about saying, actually, there is an expectation that you're engaged in, in, in one of these and you're able to talk about it. But it's over time. It has to be. It, it can't be done in just one meeting. Um, but again, I think it needs to be made uh, invitational. An expectation, but it's also so interesting. People are want to get, are going to want to go into it. Um, in any case, the other thing I just uh, wanted to pick up it was the point. Um, it was the point that you made, Philip, about um, drip drip feeding as well. And you mentioned Tom Sherrington. Um, he's a great uh, colleague and friend of mine. Um, and you know what I admire about Tom's work, not just the output of the quality and quantity of what he writes about and the books he produces. Um, but the system he's created, and I'm sure you're aware of walkthroughs, where, um, you know, the, the key pedagogical elements that have been identified as being reasonably robust, you know, a lot of them based on Rosenshine's principles, you know, there is this iterative process and program of books and um, films and recordings that mean it's not just this sort of one injection. It is this lovely pacing over time. And there are other programs as well that that do that. So, um, yeah, just thought I'd drop that in. Brilliant. I'm always sharing uh, a few Tom Sheridan tweets with my staff. I'm always putting them out going, this is great. This is really good. Have a read. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, think, I, think <laughs> I didn't know he was your friend, but he's fantastic, really good. <laughs> I think you made a really important point there about, about that guidance. Um, I think it really is key uh, and, and the coaching relationship. We have line managers and uh, an appraisal system. Uh, and I think it's, it's it, terribly important that there's that light touch. And if there's a member of staff who has a particular area they're seeking to develop, that in their discussion with their line manager, with their coach, there's a suggestion, well, actually, maybe you would go along and see to this particular bit of CPO. You go along, as Daniel suggests, and watch this particular teacher, for example, very good at behavior management, or this book would be, be really useful. Um, and I mentioning Tom Sherring there, I think it's really important as well to show, to role model. 
And so one of the things we do at our school is, is we share our kind of CPD journey, all of the SLT, and we talk about what we're doing. So it's not just a case of we think this is really good for you guys. Or something you should be doing. No, we're doing this ourselves and we share the the CPD, we're doing master's degrees or MPQH, whatever it is we're doing. We share that. And it's very much setting the scene that everyone does this because it's really good for us to do as professionals. So that's ab absolutely key. And I think, yeah, definitely sharing things like tweets and, and quotes and just keeping that thing alive. It's something that's going on, not just here across the world is, is terribly important to us. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. I did a thing, uh, this was something I tried and, I, and it kind of those long burn ones. And you might laugh at this. I know I told this to Max and he kind of giggled when I said this. I decided to, to uh, print out a whole bunch of tweets and quotes from, you know, all those kind of ones we're talking about. And I, I put them in toilets, in staff toilets, and I didn't tell anyone. And I changed them over the course of like three months. And it got towards the end of the year. And I said, okay, you know, it's my PD and said, you've all seen the things in the toilets. And they all went, was that you? And went, yeah. And slowly I had people talking about it at the lunch queue. It was quite hilarious kind of. They were following these tweets and these quotes that I put in there from different things about cognitive overload or deliberate practice or retrieval practice. And naturally in the lunch queue, they go, did you see the posters changed in the toilet? And they just started talking about it. And I, I didn't get a chance to measure the impact on it, but it was nice just getting them at least having conversations that it, it made them think a different way of something. That's it's impact. The, the, creating a culture there of thinking of good practice, isn't it? Like people thinking without... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's like touch. It's amusing. It's tongue in cheek, but it will be having impacts. People are people are talking about it, which is great. <laughs> Love that. That's so cool. Um, yeah, it, it seems like this common theme is sort of carrying the conversation and finding tools to to do that, whether that's, you know, toilets or, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 WhatsApp groups or that kind of thing. It's, it seems that's that's the way to go, isn't it? And, and just sort of looking at that, you know, with regards to technology being used. Um, Michael, you mentioned Teams, Philip, you mentioned WhatsApp, but, you know, are there any other tools that, that you guys have used um, in your own school context that have been really effective in carrying that conversation on um, amongst teachers and staff? We haven't used, but we came close to, and I believe it's still kind of ongoing. In, that, in my last school for Wellington College, very fortunate to be part of a family of schools, very similar to, I guess, Repton in, in that element. And um, what we were looking at was this idea that PD is often in schools, sadly, is a sage on a stage idea. And often it happens at four o'clock when teachers are often fairly tired, the brain's not really engaged or receptive. And, and the modern day working of companies like Google really doesn't work like that. They tend to have this idea that PD can be accessed when you want to access it. And so we were trying to look at this hybrid idea of one, having our PD sessions that we wanted all staff to come to, a part of the sequential planning that, that we put in. But how can we have this idea that staff could access PD anytime, anywhere that suited them, whether it was after a run or on a Sunday morning, and still have some impact that it could be shared? So we we're trying to have this idea of an internal network that if someone, let's say a head of maths in one of the schools, found something they really liked that was a research project that was working. Well, rather than trying to set up a, a meeting with all the heads of maths to go through this, it could instantly be dropped onto an area that either maths teachers or a head of maths within the, the network of schools 
could access and read and could go on there. So it was almost like kind of a social media idea that something there and it had hashtags tagged to it that then you could kind of track and follow various things that were coming. Um, that was what we were trying to do. And, and it linked into, I guess, something Michael said earlier about trying to have bottom up PD, this idea that people were being inspired by seeing something, wanting to share it and sort of wanting to see, hey, look, this worked, or have you read that, and, and starting genuine conversations about how to improve. I believe they're still looking at it because there's a huge task to undertake, but that's something that, that um, I think technology could really, really revolutionize, and perhaps it's something. Philip, you're just cutting out there. I don't know if you can hear me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was just saying, the last, I, last I five or six seconds. I, I wonder if something schools, uh, I was just saying, I hope, I wonder if schools could um, learn something from those elite level, high performing businesses about how they do their PD and whether we could look at something and learn from that. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, Dania, you know? Yeah, no, um, definitely. I was just thinking about that. And in terms of also, um, what I have been teaching, in fact, incidentally, I've, we've been talking about HR and how HR works in my in my business class, actually. And then and, and I agree with what Philip just said that uh, making it accessible, bigger companies, they they you you mentioned Google. Yes, um, they do not make PD mandatory in the sense that this is when you have to or you must do or you sit staring at a screen or at a person um, rather make it uh, more accessible and more. Um, optional in the sense that, yes, we expect you to have done this by a certain time, but then you can access it whenever you want. One of the things we do is uh, during the ski break, for example, the first couple of days, um, that is an optional, those are optional PD days in the sense that people um, can choose to do the PD that they want to do in those days, um, but then they don't have to be in school. And so those will be considered as working days, but then those are PD days. So what happens is that uh, a lot of interesting um, PD sessions happen where they want and when they want, but then they can come back and share that. So, and they don't necessarily go and have these PD sessions, but then they happen online for, for the most part. So, yeah, <laughs> that's one way. Yeah, we for, for, for us, it's been really interesting. Quite a lot of the stuff we learned during COVID um, about asynchronous learning. So as teachers, we had suddenly had to realize that some of our students couldn't attend lessons in real time. So we had to get very good at producing lessons that could be accessed in independently. Uh, but also, um, I think Philip's mentioned this, the ability to collaborate across different schools. Um, so one of the things we're doing right now is um, we're running uh, leadership development courses, middle leaders and senior leaders uh, across the, the globe, really. So we've got a number of schools in Malaysia, uh, the UAE, the UK. Uh, and so we're have, having sessions globally on Zoom. Uh, so it's fairly accessible tech, but that means that we can collaborate in a much more uh, easy fashion. And also with our asynchronous learning, as Philip mentioned again, well, people want to work at different times. They want to access that, that CPD at different times when they, they are... Um, really in the right mindset for it. Some people work sporadically in bursts. Some people have got to, I mean, me personally, I get up at 4 a.m., work until 6 in the morning. That's my perfect time when I'm really full of energy. 
3 p.m. in the afternoon is really not my golden time to be able to do anything kind of, you know, I've had not enough coffee. I'm not learning much. I don't really want to be learning much at that, that stage of the day. So having something asynchronous is incredibly important. And just to pick up on something that Daniel mentioned, and I think, Mary, you might like this, um, in terms of structured approach, we have a, uh, had a system of, of the number of hours of CPD you had to do. You had to clock up a number of sessions, so we weren't giving people a bit of a... Um, a free reign and if they hadn't clocked up they haven't completed the number of sessions they had to there were two days at the end of term where they had to kind of get it sorted on those two days so if you've done all your cpd you had two very light days at the end of, of, of the year just before the summer um and if you hadn't done your cpd well, that was your makeup sessions there now i'm not saying we need to extrinsically motivate staff by by getting to do things like that. but actually i think it's important that we say we value this we think cpd is really important you should value it too and we hope that you do it intrinsically because you realize it's a great thing to do but if not, we will make sure it happens. And so that um, autonomy is given, but there is actually a kind of a checks and balances, if, if that makes sense. Just to pick up on uh, the points about being um, live and asynchronous, I think that's one of the really interesting things that's emerged from uh, lockdown. And I think it's made the sector far more flexible. Uh, so a quick example from something that I'm doing with John Thompson, um, who's another great colleague. So on the back of the curriculum books we've done, um, uh, my own work and then the one I've, the work I've done jointly with John is we were getting a lot of, um, a lot of requests for training and we just didn't have the capacity. So we thought very long and hard about how to meet that uh, demand, to meet that need. So we did a trial run in June of um, uh, an eight session intensive course not for the faint-hearted over four weeks um seven to eight thirty on eight elements of the curriculum uh framed around um you know the 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 background to curriculum thinking um we're driven a lot in england by the ofsted framework although it's not designed our work to please ofsted it's actually quite a good framework in any case intent implementation and then supporting others and we had people um, as we so we just ran it at no no charge. It, it cost us a lot to put it on just to see um, how it went because it was live and recorded. It actually combined this um, quite interesting model of if people were able to turn up and most of them did. And we had a lot of feedback that people were shattered. We knew they were. They would be. That's why it's not for the faint hearted. Um, but they found it, they found they were energized by the end of it, which is interesting because I think if stuff is intellectually stimulating, it does sort of fire us up again. But then if people couldn't make it, then they'd got it recorded as well. So we we ran the first full session, which we've just finished uh, just over a week ago. And they're oversubscribed because people are finding them really, really interesting. But I think it's that combination of being able to turn up, ask questions debate and negotiate, but then also to pick it up, um, you know, if you're not able to to attend live as well. And I don't think those models would have been thought of as quickly. I think that we're emerging in any case, because you've got a lot of wider business, particularly in the States, um, you know, putting in models like this, but it was all accel accelerated, I think, by, um, by lockdown, made us all think differently about it. Yeah, what you're describing there, Mary, is, is absolutely brilliant. It, it really is. And, and one of the things I think we, it's one of those almost 
why didn't we do this sooner? And um, we've got lots of staff, for example, PE staff that have fixtures. We have staff that run extracurricular activities that would miss, regularly miss CPD. And it, yeah. it seems so stupid now. I thought, well, obviously, why didn't we record it? Why didn't we get a, a camera there and record the sessions and they could access them, them later? For years, they were just they've just missed that CPD. They might get the PowerPoint and they could read through it. They probably never did. But now, actually, we have the, the, the video there and they can watch that back and they can access it. And I think also sometimes, I'll be really honest here, if it's three in the afternoon, I'm a little bit sleepy and haven't taken it in first round, I'll go back and watch that session again. If I've missed a bit, I haven't got to take notes. And I think that's quite a nice thing to have the ability to go back and, and access the things. It's just good teaching. We do the same thing with the students now. They've got access to that material. Again, they can go in their own time. So I think absolutely what you're describing is brilliant. No surprises oversubscribed. Yeah, and I, I would just say uh, that's really important insight in terms of um, PE and, of course, other colleagues with commitments after school. Also, family commitments. You know, there could be all sorts of reasons. And I think, too, that we're thinking far more laterally about consumption of good quality materials. So um, another quick example, and we have this uh, free on, on to access on my website, but um, a lot of podcasts... And all we do is take, because we record everything uh, on, on the main platform, not the one I've just been talking about, the Martin Co platform. Uh, so you've got all these films, but then we strip out the audio and, um, and, and just uh, flag up to people. You can listen to these conversations as well as watch them. Well, it's the same stuff. It's just been stripped out and slightly rebranded, but we're finding a lot of people uh, are finding easier to access through through listening to great quality conversations if they haven't got access um if they haven't got access to you know being able to watch something on of course they can do other things while they're uh while they're listening so i think the whole sector is being much more creative um around high quality content and thinking about how people access it and of course blogs and um tweets whatever they are they're all very stimulating. Yeah, I think we also have a, a, an access to a wider variety of um, professional development these days, especially since uh, the lockdown and, and the pandemic. I think people are intrinsically motivated, as Michael said, and, and want to do it and have access to it as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of organizations really stepped up to the plate at the start of lockdowns. I'm sure you you know of the research ed um, uh, work that goes on in England, started by Tom Bennett. That went online, and there was research ed home very early on. There was Seneca Learning. There were lots of um, multi academy trusts doing interesting work as well. So really pushing the boundaries and um, people a keen to access them and and also because they were online so in their own time as well but also pe a lot of people losing um that self-consciousness you have when you first see yourself on and hear yourself on screen but uh, people are kind of over that now which is good <laughs> yeah. excellent stuff and any final thoughts we'll move on to our, our final our final discussion point great so so the fi final question um sort of i mean there's been so many little great tips and tricks strategies that we've sort of um, mentioned here uh, is there any any particular strategy or actionable practical step um, that you would or maybe something that's worked for you in particular in, in your school context that you would advise a, a school that's maybe looking to develop their their professional development journey um uh further furthermore um, is there an area that you would advise that that they think of first is there a particular 
um, strategy that that you would advise any school to to perhaps try that's worked for you. Um, who would like to 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 take that one? I, I can kick off. I don't mind, Gary. Go on, Michael. You sure? Thank you for such a <laughs> Um, so one of the things that, that's been really interesting recently, I uh, heard John Hattie speak at a conference here in Dubai about three weeks ago, and he was speaking about effect sizes uh, and of COVID. That was a key thing. The reason I was there, because he was going to big reveal the impact of COVID in some meta-analyses. And it turns out the impact on COVID of learning has actually been quite small, a small negative effect. But then what he did to kind of contrast that was he showed the impact of a negative relationship between a uh, child and their teacher if, they, if the child's perception is that their teacher doesn't like them and that was huge and probably three or four times greater than the impact of covid uh, and that really shook me to my core because i think all of us probably did phenomenal work during covid moving from in-person teaching to remote learning all different sorts of protocols and hours spent recording webinars and voiceovers on powerpoints all that kind of stuff and actually the impact of, of covid was very very minor and probably if i'm being really honest here we spend a fraction of that time on developing positive relationships and, and teaching staff and, and looking at CPD around positive relationships with the students and positive, positive ed. So I would, I would, and I'm sure all of my staff will be shocked at this, that deputy academic at Repton Dubai is going to say, it's not necessarily for me about the curriculum pedagogy, but a bit more about positivity and the relationships and those, and those things um, that are not really necessarily part of the taught curriculum. Um, so I'd say those things. And the second thing I would say has been really powerful. I know Mary mentioned she lives in Wales, but it's not meant to be political, it's devolution. And actually giving heads of department and departments a bit of freedom and giving them some time to look and look. They think, well, actually for us as a department, um, I'm a scientist, but what's the science department's main priority? What are we going to spend time and really get deep into that subject specific CPD as opposed to the, the global school level CPD? So those are the two key things, positive education and relationships, uh, well-being yes, in, in the round, then also really giving some time quality time to departments to focus on what they need um, and that will be different from department to department so most of our heads of department absolutely relish that relish the opportunity to really lead cpd and and, and share good practice within the department time so they're the two key things that we're doing quite a lot of uh, at my school at the moment okay um we yeah michael that's that's very interesting because this was something that we actually discussed today um because we are having the first round of observations in school and of course, you know, it's, it's department heads that, that are doing the observations. And based on that, in fact, we are developing it a little bit further because we are, we, we are discussing about uh, the heads of departments taking a thread, you know, an idea from, from the observations and then running a workshop based on that, first for the department and then for the whole school. And this is something, this is an area that we would like to work on further because the there are there are um, good practices there that can be shared with uh, the, the wider school community, but then first within the department. So this is something that we are looking to develop at the moment as well. It'd be interesting to, to touch base later on. I would suggest, um, yeah, Max's question was about any school, let's say. I, I, I would say if I was going to give any advice about setting up PD in this I, I would first of all audit, audit your staff, figure out their strengths and weaknesses. What, what do you think the school needs and, and what skills do you have within your school? Then, then start to think about what do you want to get out of the training and why? What, what training are you going to do and why are you going to do it? Then look at the research that says around that and what should you be doing and why that follows on there. And then make sure you embed it in a whole school way make sure departments just like michael was saying make sure departments have time to follow this through 
and there's there's time for them. That's the that's the biggest complaint I ever get. Whenever schools try and bring something in, that I always get the argument we've got no time. So make sure you factor in time, and there's a longer term strategic view to it. And then set yourself some measurable success criteria that you can evaluate that what you've done has worked. And if it hasn't, that's okay because that's kind of what research is about figure out what works and what doesn't work, evaluate it and move forward again. But I would start always audit your staff and whoever that is, whether that's learning walks, less observations, book looks, whether it's more informal, just circulating around, understanding relationships, whether it's doing like a, you know, like a past survey and figure out how the students feel about the school or a Harvard Graduate School of Education relationship mapping exercise, whatever it is you feel, audit your staff to figure out where the strengths and weaknesses lie. But if I just may, may pick up on something you said there, I think auditing is, is absolutely crucial, but from a slightly different angle for us, it's, it's capacity as well. Um, and if you look at kind of staff's uh, capacity for learning, if they're completely swamped with marking and, and they're not really coping yeah. in their day-to-day teaching, you coming along with a fantabulous CPD program after school, yeah. they don't have to buy into that because they'll be in the back of their mind thinking, well, actually, I could be marking that set of year seven books right now. I've got those reports to write. So it's a bit kind of like my, uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. You need to make sure that they've got that capacity first. So absolutely audit what they can do, what they need, but also are they what's their well-being like? Are they actually able to engage with that CPD? Because if they're if they're not, a bit like the students, if they're they've got a really rough home life or there's something going outside of school, they're not going to be able to focus on CPD. So absolutely order them to make sure they've got that capacity. But everything else you describe is phenomenal. Absolutely brilliant. I'm gonna pass that off with my own ideas tomorrow in our SLT meeting if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I echo that. I've actually written a lot about it in Back on Track, about you know, if we want to get this stuff done well. What are some of the practices, certainly in the English system, that are getting in the way that are not adding value to pupils learning, but because they have historically always been done, there's an expectation they continue to be done. And I have a short hit list, one of which is marking. We know from Dylan William, most marking makes absolutely no difference to student outcomes. Notice my word most all right so we mark very judiciously most of it is live feedback in the classroom we know that has the greatest makes the greatest difference there are huge problems with dodgy data being entered into spreadsheets that don't tell anyone anything um and um uh, and and then lots of um you know differentiated planning and all this sort of stuff so um really cutting it back and asking every everything that might be getting in the way of this rich diet that we've been talking about and i just wanted to offer this anecdote of um what i thought was a really interesting model in one instance from one uh, primary head teacher who was concerned that his staff uh, did not have a wide enough knowledge of children's literature beyond a diet of uh, Williams and uh, Roald Dahl. And instead of sort of stressing about this and nagging his colleagues, um, they came in for a staff meeting, expecting the usual hierarchy of, um, uh, of things that are covered. And instead of that, they just, uh, he put a pile of children's books on the table and he said, um, just pick up one that takes your fancy and spend the next half an hour or so reading it and skimming it and then come back and we'll spend the rest of the time just chatting about what you found. And what emerged was that virtually everybody wanted to take their book home. That wasn't the intention. So what was going on there? Their curiosity had been provoked. They were intellectually stimulated. And so what? that's the space I think we want everyone to be in. And then what would normally have been covered in that staff meeting was just done in, in an email. So it's about reframing how we, how we think about meetings as well. And I think being really brutal, brutal about them and following... Um, 
uh, Greg McCann's essentialist principles, you know, chuck out anything that is not working and uh, and crack on with this really interesting stuff. And I think that's a, a, a really helpful insight in terms of being creative and clever about use of staff time. End of anecdote. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Any any other final thoughts before we before we wrap up? All right, good stuff. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you all so so much for for joining. It was super super interesting conversation. Loads and loads of ideas and thoughts and insights that I'm sure can be incredibly useful um, to to listeners. Um, and yeah, maybe ideas that have been shared uh, in in your own school context too that you can that you can take on. So um, yeah, thank you so much once again for your time. And uh, yeah, maybe look forward to a part two sometime in the future. But yeah, th thank you once again.